On this week's show, a Bromley fan tells us all about life as a BAME non-league supporter. I'm just surprised that football isn't more ethnically diverse at the lower levels. And Ebsley tell us why they plumped for Dennis Catree. We really needed some deep decision making and, and a real process around this appointment because um, the club hasn't performed optimally in the last two or three seasons. I think there's no doubt about that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Kent Only Podcast, a show that it seems just can't stop. Uh, we are brought to you in association with Workforce Dimensions Limited, and this week's show is another cracker for you. As you should know by now, I am John Phipps. On the line now is a man who, after last week, is watching his P's and Q's. It's Mr. Matt Gerrard. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, John. Not too bad. Yeah, it's. I'm now off work again, um, which is um, a little bit disappointing, but. Uh... We're ready to go again, hopefully with the um, changing of the furlough system, less than three weeks that maybe, I don't know if I'll be going back full time, but it might be that um, I'm not three weeks off, one week on, but we'll worry about that. But apart from that, we're fine. School's gone A-OK this week. So what is it? We're recording this on a Wednesday, so they've still got a bit to do. So um, yeah, not, not too bad. So um, we made, I think you know, what the government said, we didn't send my eldest back. Um, and looking at what they said, then the youngest is not going back as well. So maybe we've made the right decision on that. And uh, do, do they prefer Mr. Gerrard to their other teachers? No. <laughs> but because, well, well, I, I think you know, check this, check your spelling, check your punctuation, and stuff like that. So, particularly as the the oldest one is about to go to secondary school, I'm trying to. I said to her, I know I sound like a broken record, but you've got to get this in your head. So, so maybe I'm probably a bit more harsher than the teacher would be. So. Exactly. Right. Well, it's our 126th episode this week. It's a packed one, as I say, so we are going to crack on. Uh, my limited research shows that that's a pretty mundane number, actually, 126, although it is the name of the type of film that used to be in cameras back when we were both young. It was introduced by Kodak in 1963 and is associated mainly with low-end point-and-shoot cameras, uh, particularly Kodak's own Instamatic series of cameras, although apparently these legendary pieces of gear stopped being produced in 2008, thanks to 35mm stuff and, of course, those pesky smartphones, I'd imagine. Um, um, anyway, let's get on with the show. And this has been a turbulent week in the world as a number of protests have taken place as part of the Black Lives Matter movement following the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Now, while this is often a silly football podcast, this is an issue that we simply could not let slide. As last season, three matches in Scaffold Division 1 were abandoned due to allegations of racism on the pitch. And while on the pitch, there is no doubt that the game in the county is diverse, off it, it's not quite the same. As two white men, it really would not be right for us to just talk about it. So earlier this week, Matt spoke to Bromley fan, freelance journalist and all-round good egg, Michelle St. Patrick Hewitt, about his experiences as a black supporter in the non-leagues. And he started by asking if there is a problem in non-league football with racism. Good question. Um, I think there's so many different angles by which to approach that type of question. I think... First and foremost, we have to differentiate. because We shouldn't have to differentiate, but I will differentiate. When we talk racism, it doesn't just mean the overt kind of use of um, horrendous slurs and open racism that everybody can see. And I think that's why when sometimes this, this topic comes up, some people have a hard time getting to grips with it because their natural reaction would be, but I've never seen anything like that. Mm. Um, and it, I think the, what I would say first and foremost is you have 
doesn't have to be overt to be a, to be a form of racism. Right. Um, does that mean that I have seen um, racism get worse, or that it's something I see regularly um, as a as a non-league, um, as a sorry, as an ethnic minority who watches non-league football? Um, if even that answer is yes and no. When I was, I've been watching non-league football season in, season out for about 23, 24 years now. And I would argue that in the last four years, um, things things that I thought not had gone away, but certainly were lying dormant, have come back again. Well, um, what do you think that is? Because I think that it's become a bit easier for people to say things... Um, I mean, I'm always going to blame it on kind of the prevailing climate within the country. Mm -hmm. So we've had a very politically turbulent four years, and it's not Mm -hmm. about what side of any kind of fence you sit on. But I think you can't really... (laughs) Football or any sport is an extension of society. So if society is divided and... um, there are increasing incidents in society of intolerant behaviour. It naturally has to, it naturally has to spread over onto the terraces because football is a part of society. And I just feel that my experience is that it's become easier for some people to say stuff that they wouldn't have felt confident about saying maybe ten years ago. So we can go on a lot of the about society in general in this country as well. But you mentioned about. Um, you know, I'm a Dover supporter. Dover's not really has that m- a, a big ethnic minority. But where, as a Bromley, as you where you mentioned in your article, you know, on the outskirts of London, you mentioned I think you said that only two percent of non-league football clubs have a non-white supporting background. Which, when you think about it, that seems crazy, isn't it? It, it would do. And I mean, and first and foremost, I think it's important that I say that, um, like any football club. Um, Bromley has been brilliant like that, that's a team I've always supported uh, from the people behind the scenes to the large majority of fans that I've met throughout the years it's a fantastic football club to support um, and be a part of but every football club is always going to attract an element of um, elements of society that you wish didn't go and that, I'm not saying that they mustn't turn up yeah. I'm saying that football clubs will always attract uh, people like that. And when I wrote the piece, one of the reasons I wrote it was because I'm just surprised that football isn't more ethnically diverse at the lower levels. Mm. Like, I'm, I'm not talking about the premiership. Like, no. it's not uncommon to look at TV games of London clubs and you look in the crowd and they're super, well, say, not like massively diverse, but they're, they're diverse. Yeah. You can see people clearly in the stadium from uh, different backgrounds. None of these people has never been like that for me. No, no. Um, and and that's any club. I'm not, I'm not, that's not specific to Bromley, no, not no, specific exactly, to yeah. Dover. Yeah. Um, and I think I, I noticed it even more. I think as a kid, I didn't notice it as much because back then, um, <laughs> Bromley were in the lower reaches of yeah. the Ryman and there was only, like, crowds were sub-250. But, I mean, you support Dover, I support Bromley. Both of us are in the National League. And I think I, when when Bromley got promoted five years,
five years ago and I started to spend every other week going not to name clubs but to areas whether it's be to Manchester to Liverpool to to Cumbria it just for whatever reason I started to notice wait a minute this this level of football isn't very diverse yeah. <laughs> at all <laughs> and um, and I was I was ending up at games um, like if I went to like Barrow for example in a crowd of two two and a half thousand I'd be the only uh, black person in the entire ground other than the players on the pitch who might be representing Bromley and to me it might not sound and somebody who listens to this might be like so what but unless you're in unless you have experience of being a minority in a space where it's clearly evident that you are you are a minority in that space you, you probably can't relate to what that feels like mm. does, does that make sense? Yeah no absolutely um, absolutely so and and then when I coupled that together with a few incidents that have happened over the, the last few years, few unsavory incidents that have happened over the last few years, few years, sorry, where um, unfortunately I, w- I was recipient to um, comments that I shouldn't have been, uh, it just got me thinking about, well, actually, what's going on? This is, this is unacceptable. And then on a wider level, I just started to look at the game um, as a whole, and be like, well, actually, come to think of it, I rarely see um, diverse crowds um, um, at the non-league level, particularly away from home. Mm-hmm. So I'm more so talking about when you travel to go and watch uh, watch your club elsewhere, because everybody will say, well, I've noticed one or two people, mm-hmm. but one or two people doesn't mean diverse. No, no, exactly. And again, this is becoming with the protests going on. How important is it for, you know, Raheem Sterling, I think he's on Newsnight this evening, how important that there's a sort of, the word, if it's the correct terminology, gets out that, you know, Raheem Sterling, you know, if England are going to win the World Cup, he could be the man that does it. How important that, you know, your, the, the, their voices are heard, what's going on in the country? Um, I mean, yes, it's, it's important because well, his, his voice is certainly more important than mine, or it's, <laughs> it's going to have more effect. Yeah. going to have more effect than mine. So it's important in that sense. The more high-profile people that speak on something, the greater the chance of more people hearing hearing the message. Um, so yeah, and, and like I say, I'm, I'm I want to be careful on how I express this and what I say. Because, yes, I, of course, the large majority of people listening would say, but I don't have a problem. And, yeah, I'm not saying you do. But I am saying that the, the present, like in terms of the protests that are currently going on and things like that, what it should be forcing us to do, myself included, is look around our lives and say, well, actually, have there been times, have there been moments where things have happened things have been said and I knew it was wrong but I just didn't say anything mm. um, and, I, and I think if there's any on the most basic level possible if there is any change that these kind of protests and the climate we're living in at the moment brings it would if it could only change people at least looking at situations be like mm, I'm not going to tolerate that the next time it comes up I'm actually going to say something that in and of itself would be a massive change. Again, you can you, 
Straight on. No, we're talking about, I you know, when England went to, was it Moldova or one of these horrible places, that they, and they were coming off the pitch. If, would you, if one of the Bromley players was racially abused and he walked off the pitch, would you think that would be a right thing to do? I've always said that, <laughs> I've actually got a bit of a different take in it. I think that if a player is racially abused on the pitch, so let's just take this example. If a, if a black player is racially abused on the pitch, it isn't up to the black player on the pitch to walk off out of protest. It's To me personally, it's up to the teammates yeah. who are playing with him to take it upon themselves and say, we're not, we're not standing for this. Because every time in the last season or whatever, you've seen like pictures in other leagues around the world where a player says, no, that's it, I'm walking off. And what you tend to see is you have players trying to hold them back and say, no, no, stay on the pitch. Don't, don't go on the way. Prove to them that you can win by scoring some goals. That, that doesn't make sense. You shouldn't have to prove your humanity mm. by, by scoring a goal or saying, I'm not going to let this get to me. What, what people need to see is true solidarity and allyship from others and say, well, actually, as a team, we're not standing for this. Now, Matt, there's lots of really interesting stuff in there, uh, but the one line that stood out for me, and I'd never thought about this, uh, was him travelling to away games and being the only BAME supporter in a crowd of two and a half thousand or thereabouts. To be frank, that's why we needed his voice on this show. We're so grateful to him for speaking so well, but it's, it's just astonishing that, isn't it? Yeah, it's right about weight. As I mentioned, the area that I come in, come from and Dover's not really... Um, a, BAME, a big BAME um, population. So he doesn't really think about it. When I spoke to Michelle, when he thought that, going to some of these places, that must have been, you know, really... It, it's upsetting why... I'm not saying why the non-league game, because, of course, as he mentioned there, that the Premier League and the higher-end game, they've got a lot of BAME supporters, etc. like that. But maybe the non-league game has got a reputation that maybe less unsavoury characters would go there who who've come back from the thing and wanted to cause a little bit of trouble and it's a bit worrying for him. So I'm hoping that this can all change. Um, Bromley are a, a big club or in the area, doing do good work in the community. And if they've got people like Michelle behind them, he's going to make sure that uh, more BAMEs will, uh, people will be able to come in and, and support the club because Michelle is, is fully behind it and he's a great, great man. And he, should, and, and he came across really well in that interview, I thought. Some of the are really good points. And I think, you know, as you mentioned earlier, two white men like ourselves, it's, we can't really comment on that. But what Michelle said really sort of hit home to how difficult it can be. And it's one of those things, isn't it? At the start of that interview, you mentioned overt racism. Uh, and I suppose that's something that, that we just don't get, Matt, as, as, as you say. Uh, because, you know, I think that, yes, we all hear when there's racist abuse uh, said and, and chanted and, and all that, and that, and that makes the headlines. But there are times when it doesn't have to be something that's said that, that can cause offence. And, and I guess that's uh, part of what's going on with it, with this current movement. And the whys and wherefores of what's happening, uh, whether we agree or disagree with big, large-scale marches uh, during th- this pandemic, is, is a completely different matter. But I, I kind of get it, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, th- I can see from what he said before and what's gone on, you can see that, that 
black lives do matter and everybody is the same and, and a bit of like the homework we've been doing about with my my children about this as well that you've got to educate there I'm, I'm hoping that their generation is going to be better exposed to what you know what we were you know when we were growing up it was a lot different but i think now with the younger generation it doesn't really matter to them what color skin you've got or where you come from or sexuality from that everybody's the same from him and i'm hoping that it will be a generation thing that people coming up forward for, from their generation won't make a difference if you're black white pink or whatever so and again it's educating them as well and we've got to educate our youngsters yeah, I think that is a, a thing. I mean, as you say, Broadstairs, uh, not a particularly culturally diverse area either. Uh, certainly where I grew up near Canterbury wasn't particularly um, particularly culturally diverse uh, in terms of, you know, people I went to school with. Uh, it, it was one of those things. Uh, but I think w- what is the difference now, I think, is whereas racism was maybe a taboo subject in the past, now we're not afraid to talk about it. People aren't afraid to talk up they the people have got a voice now and they're not afraid to use it and i think that is a big thing you know as i say we will never understand what it's like uh to be in a minority group uh ethnically because uh, and the difficulties that that come with that but i think that people the fact that people have got a voice is is absolutely fantastic uh, exactly i remember growing up on the terraces at dover and the chanting that was going on which 30 odd 35 years ago was the norm and again, that would that would not be tolerated now, which is absolutely right. And I think, um, you know, you mentioned about people like Ian Wright, etc., out there, people like that who've suffered abuse in the past, and now the way they can put their words across. And Raheem Sterling, whatever you may think of him as a footballer, as a person, an individual, you have to hold your hands up and say what a fantastic job he's doing out there because he's not scared to to fences frustrations and anger about this situation and I think he's coming across really really well and you know he's a role model for for, for young kids and that, that can only be a good thing yeah I think that is you know that, that as you say he's a role model and I'm sure that Raheem Sterling is a role model to to black kids to Asian kids to white kids I'm sure people look up yeah. to him and and that is where it, it, it doesn't really matter and you know I I, I remember it was you know it, it was it it just was awful. I'd never really uh, witnessed any sort of first-hand um, sort of racist abuse when I was watching football. I, I never did. Uh, and, you know, and I think as time's gone on, that has rightly become completely unacceptable. And and I hope that people know now they can speak up uh, and that it, and that that is the right thing to do. Um, so some more interesting points uh, from Michelle there. Um, when he was talking about players coming off the pitch and how we've seen players trying to say um, to to players who have talked about walking off that they shouldn't, they should stay on. But he thinks that the player is t- the teammates are the ones who need to take the stance. And I think that's really interesting because it, I think that that is part of the problem. These ignorant people, and let's face it, they are ignorant people who are making uh, abusive noises and, and saying ab- abusive things. Well, if, if someone who they think is the same as them, as in a white person, takes the stand, then I think that makes a, a, as much of a difference as it would do a black person making that stand. Yeah, I, I, and again, I think it would be if this happens, and I'm, you know, I'm not blaming the Eastern Europeans, but that, that seems to be an issue in football at the moment. If that comes again, I'm sure that the people behind, if it was an England game, they would walk off the pitch and I would have thought 99% of the population in this country would say, right, well done. You've put down um, 
a, you know, you said it's not good enough. It doesn't matter what color of the skin you are. We are one as a country. And I think that's very important. And I hope it doesn't happen, but I'm sure eventually it will happen to a, to an England game or a game that will be abandoned, which is hopefully wrong. But I, I think it would be the right decision to make. And that and it will, it will, it would, you know, sort of um, a tsunami of um, emotions around the country, but a lot of them will be fully, fully behind them. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously we've spoken far too much, and we should do, uh, about racism on this podcast this season, as well as those three incidents in the scaffold. Um, we also saw the incidents involving both Dover and Ebbsfleet uh, away at Hartlepool. Uh, and it is one of those things. And I can't believe in 2020 that this is still an issue. You know, I think it, it is astonishing. I, I, like you say, I don't care if people are black, white, straight, gay, green, whatever. I, I don't. I, I have no prejudice whatsoever towards any people, but I think to put the point of these protests are at the moment that while every, while there are a lot of people who who think like we like I'm saying I think there, there are people who don't, and and it is not always saying something to someone. It can just be overlooking them, and, and that must be really hard to take. And I suppose that you know I, I said at the, at the start that. On the pitch, I think non-league football is is very very representative of, of of all backgrounds. Off it though, as well as supporters, as we've heard, what about managers? There, there's not many BMA managers in the non-league games, especially in in Kent. So you know, are there? We see you know things like Frank Lampard is the Chelsea manager, Sol Campbell same qualifications. He's at South End and doesn't get higher at the pyramid. Is there that sort of subconscious? racism going on off the pitch in in boardrooms i just don't know well you, you may find that, that some of the well not difficult to say on that but there, there is i think football glee clubs have to uh interview bame bame candidates and i think gareth southgate said there's a number of excellent um bame um coaches coming through so i'm hoping that will change again We've had people like Paul Ince, et cetera, like that, who's had numerous jobs. Thing Again, all it needs is somebody to get a job and then from there. But again, football, as we know, is a cutthroat business, John. At the end of the day, um, if you're not performing, you, you lose your job. But it'll be interesting to see. I can see the argument with Sol Campbell and Frank Lampard. Difficult because the club's involved, et cetera, like that. But I'm hoping that Sol Campbell can be successful. He's, you know, He hasn't had a great start at South End, but why not? You know, he, he's starting lower levels and he wants to work his way up. So it's a difficult one from that. But football is a business at the end of the day. And maybe clubs don't want to be associated with the BAME manager. I'm not saying they do or not. It's just a difficult one. Yeah, it is difficult. And, and one thing I do find uh, kind of difficult, I'm not a big fan per se of this Rooney rule that they have uh, in in America because um, and again maybe that's because I'm blinkered but I, I don't think if if a if a club has got their mind set on a manager then surely having someone come along for an interview because you have to is a is a pointless exercise. I mean, I've been in 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 my career. I've been for job interviews. I had no chance of getting the job. I only found out after I'd been to the been to the interview. One time, I drove need two hundred miles to go for an interview, and it turned out they'd already had someone lined up for the job. Um, you know, and and I and that was actually a knock for me. So I don't know if if that's the way forward. And and one thing that does frustrate me is is we have seen a few. 
BAME managers, Chris Hewton, uh, Chris Powell, um, Paul Ince, as you mentioned there, Matt. And and as soon as, even if results are terrible and they get the sack as any other manager would get the sack, it is very quickly brought up, well, well, that's one fewer BAME manager. And, and I think that that's a difficulty, isn't it? Because... It, as you say, it's a results business. It's a cutthroat business, and everyone's got to be treated equally. And I suppose the problem is that maybe they're not being treated equally and given the opportunity. But when they are given the opportunity, if it doesn't work, then they do also get treated equally, and, and that's part um, of the problem. That, 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 that's football in a nutshell, isn't it? Really, um, it's a results business, and it doesn't matter who the manager is. If the results aren't good, whatever um, colour of their skin, they're going to lose their jobs. But you know, I'm sure, as we say. There'll be players coming through, managers who want to go on the coaching, and, and again, this eventually it will happen. I'm absolutely certain of it. It will happen, and good luck to the, good luck to anybody who gets to the job. Football's a cutthroat business, so um, uh, yeah, it's been it's been an interesting well, not an interesting week. It's been a well, it is an interesting week. We're looking at how the world world looks at things, but I'm hoping, as I said before, future generations like my kids doesn't it won't matter to them if they're the colour of their skin. Maybe it's a, it's a generation issue at the moment that we've got, and that will change eventually. Absolutely. Right, OK, so that's racism talked about. Now it's time for our next interview, and this is a long one too. On last week's show, we discussed at length the appointment of Dennis Katrib as the new manager for Ebbsfleet United. Uh, we both said at the time that we were being a touch on the negative side, shall we say, and uh, the club themselves were very keen to have their voice heard on this issue, and rightly so, to be honest. So last week, uh, Matt and I had a proper video meeting with Ebbsfleet United CEO Damien Irvine, who told us all about his new man. As I say, this is a long interview, but there are some fascinating points in it. So here is the chat uh, with Damien Irvine talking to both myself and Matt Gerrard about their new manager. How did it come about that you would find someone from Germany uh, to, to come into FC United? Because it's something that wouldn't normally you wouldn't expect to, to see at this level. No, you wouldn't. And I think you're 100% right. And you, you know the league so well and you know uh, the scene so well, I guess, and, and how it works. And it is very unusual. Um, there is a tendency uh, to go with the norm, I guess, in, in uh in lower league level and non-league level, um, it, it is easy to to take the comfort decision, I guess. And there are no shortage of excellent, um, well-credentialed, knowledgeable managers uh, that are familiar with with our league in our area. Absolutely. So um, it, it 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 is unusual. Um, but often I've I've found um, is that you know one thing I think we all agree on: the, a manager appointment is the most important important appointment um, in uh, in a club. It really is. We know that. Um, it forms everything from the culture, the DNA of the club all the way through. And uh, you, you have good appointments, you have bad appointments, and there are no guarantees on any appointment as to what, what the outcome is going to be. Um, but I've found what what we're tasked to do, I guess, in, in running football clubs is to um, guarantee the process, I guess, and the, the effort and the thoroughness of making an appointment. Um, often, uh, and this is not just lower league and non-league um, uh, commentary, but in, in some sport levels, um, in my experience, um, timing and, 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 and ease and comfort is, is often a, a real driving factor in appointments. Um, you often see um, former players or, or people who have been around the club step in to fill roles, etc. cetera, um, which, which is not to say that can't work, um, but we really needed some deep decision-making and, and a real process around this appointment because 
Um, the club hasn't performed optimally in the last two or three seasons. I think there's no doubt about that. It has had instability in certain areas. It has changed managers during the season. So it was really important um, to, to identify what the club needed going forward. And so, yes, it's out of the comfort zone. Um, but to do that, we needed to... Um, one, the, the first thing getting back to this being the most important appointment in a club is you need to know what you need first. You need to know what you're looking for um, before you go to market and before you, you make a decision. Often that might be the person that's sitting there already. It might be the person previous. It might be a person who's never been involved in the club before. But until you know the drivers that are going to make that person fit beautifully with this club at this point in time, um, in this curve of the club's growth or, or, or decline or wherever it might be, uh, you don't know what it is. So we we um, we had Kevin at the club, obviously. Uh, he came in um, and, and it was circumstantial very much, I think, uh, and it was before my time, so you might well know better the timing on some of these things, gents, than I do. But um, there was an unstable period at the club um, through an off-season uh, with with a manager who had been there a year who had a poor start to the season, uh, who had a falling out with his assistant and changed that assistant on the way to a game, I'm told, you know, and and sort of, you know, there was a, a gap there, um, you know, through a recommendation of one of the players. Um, Kevin became uh, assistant a day later or something because there was a need for an assistant for Gary Hill, um, as circumstance would have it. Um you know, two two games later, Kevin was the the, the manager of the club, um, and you know, interim. But then a few days later, so, so again, go back on that. Sorry to yeah. interrupt. So if you were uh, in charge then, that's not the sort of decision that you think a football club should make because it's uh, a very rushed decision. Or maybe I'm old fashioned, or maybe I have a, a higher standard in terms of process, mate. But I I don't think the most important decision for a club for the supporters. Um, should be made um, so rapidly or without that process. Um, I think supporters should expect higher standards uh, that from us, of us, um, and more thoroughness than that, if that makes sense. So, so back on to Dennis. So, you you know, you decided, was the decision about Kevin, was that decided, um, uh, you know, was going to happen when you joined the club, right, we'll see what happens at the end of the season because you were on a good, good run. When no. was the decision to make Kevin... Uh, relieve his of his position and move on to the next stage. Well, Kevin wasn't relieved of his position. This just I made that clear. He's caught. He was contracted at the end of May back um, prior to Christmas, and that was always the deal. And that was the contract he was placed on. Um, great guy and a, and a good football manager, you know. Um, but unfortunately, the season didn't get a, a chance to run its natural course, as we know. Um, <clears throat> so. Um, there was a real, there was a boost in in performances. There was some 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 horrible days as well, which all football clubs have. Um, so Kevin and his staff didn't really get an opportunity to finish out and draw the 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 season to a natural conclusion. Um, <clears throat> so unfortunately, we'll never know what that would have looked like. Um, I personally, I think we, you know, they they they've done a good enough job, and we're doing a good enough job, I think, to probably you know, on football merit. Um, sort out the season positively for us, but that wasn't wasn't happened. Uh, wasn't able to happen. So, as soon as the season had, had finished and there wasn't any any um, any chance of more football, um, like all good football clubs should do, um, you, you have a review and a look at it, and you see what is the perfect fit. Having I, I'd seen for a little while what what had been going on at the club. <clears throat> um, obviously, the owner had 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 a strong view. I mean, he funds the club in terms of um, what we need to do for a long term picture. Um, 
for a lot of reasons, what the club had been doing up until the last game of the season hadn't been working in a lot of areas. Yeah, we'd had some good results, but it wasn't an ideal structure by any stretch. Um, we'd had um, a, an ad hoc approach, I guess. The club had appointed uh, Kevin and, and he's done a good job. And I want to detract from Kevin. I want to make that very clear. Um, he'd done a good job. And then, um, you know, he brought in staff as well mid-season, which he had to to put a, a, some some support around himself. Uh, then um, there was a, a real gap, I guess, in recruitment um, and, and league knowledge and that business side of the management side. Kevin um, had managed at a lower level and, and had been an excellent assistant as well. Um, but as I understand it, he needed help um, to, to, around that recruitment side and to, to really uh, boost the squad for him. Um, around the Christmas time. And so Steve Lavelle obviously was brought in to do that job um, and, and he brought some players in as well then. So it was very much reactive decisions, I guess, in what I'm coming to from a club's point of view. Um, and, and, and that's why um, when a review came to have a look at what was going on um, in the future, um, the, the key was let's not start with a structure that might still have fragility or might still have cracks in it or might not be running optimally. We've got a clean slate here to look at what will be the strongest structure going forward, not for next month or, or next season, but long-term for the club. And so with Dennis, then, you say, you say it's the most important appointment that a club can make is the manager. Um, so I guess you must be able to see that people may think it is a bit of a risk to bring someone in from abroad uh, to come into this level. And, and I guess... How do you know that he's the right fit? Because uh, I'm guessing he sort of wasn't on your radar much before the, the last few weeks. Uh, have you done enough background checks on him and, and due diligence? More than I think any club would make it league to National League, South or North level, 100%. I know for a fact um, in terms of the, the work that's gone into that identification process. Um, you say, you know, it would be an unusual decision. Um, how has it worked for the club in appointing usual suspects before? That's a, that is a good point. Um, they've yeah, I, th I think it's it fair to say, Matt, that um, you know Gary Hill is the prime example of that yeah. because um, everyone, when Gary Hill came in, we certainly looked at it and thought, oh, yeah, great, solid pair of hands. He knows this level. He'll do great. And then it all went very wrong for him. So, I mean, fair play to you, Damien. It, 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 but I, I suppose you say it's unusual. It's a bold decision. And, and we really hope it works out for you, definitely. You know, and, I'm, and please, I'm not being facetious in, in, in asking that comment back. I, that's a question we asked ourselves and, and mm. the club has to ask itself. And I'm, I'm not being flippant about it. No, of course. What I'm getting at is... Um, it's horses for courses and timing is everything. And what is a very good management fit at a club 10 months ago when that club's flying that he's been at with three years can move and it not necessarily be. Nathan Jones has just come back to his, his, his where he's meant to be. Do you know what I mean? 100%. Tisdale might be at a club for a long time and move and not have that same success. I'm a massive fan and, 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 and a friend of Gareth Ainsworth, who I think is one of the better managers in our league, you know, in our, in our country, to be fair. Um, I don't know whether Gareth, if he took a championship club or, or, or something, might work. You, you don't know that. And as I say, timing is everything. And so just because you go with someone who's won a lot of games at this level um, from up the road and, and you can pinch him uh, doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's going to work. So you, your question is, is really, and your point's really well made. Um, so what it was about it and why Dennis and the boldness, it gets back to what I said about identifying the attributes um, what this what this club needed at the moment, and 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 this club needed, um, I I feel um, as soon as I was given a remit to to, to locate a manager, uh, we we looked 
you know, right from the worldwide in and, and brought it down what the attributes were going to what the attributes were going to be. And and these were attributes that I think reflect and have to reflect what the supporter base of this club is all about and what their expectations are. I don't feel that supporters feel that this club has been good to them and done the right thing by them probably over recent seasons um, across the board, not one individually. I think they expect and want more from their club. Um, I think the owner probably does as well for his large investment. Um, he, he, he wants success for the club for that. I think we all want success. So one thing, we, we needed a, a, an obsessive work ethic in a manager uh, with a meticulous attention to detail, somebody who lived and breathed not just football, because it's very easy to say you love football and you love being in the game. Acting like that at very, very different things. Um, you know, I could say I love I love mince pies, but, you know, there are other people that really love them because they're up eating a bunch of them at 11 o'clock at night and then more more in the morning. So I think saying you really love something, but then having that, that build, that obsessive personality trait, which has you living and breathing video at 1am, 6am, preparing next Thursday, that meticulous attention to detail was something that we, we really felt the club needed at this point in time, who now that I'm here at the club, who can just focus on, you know, those 22 or 24 squad players, um, each session, the staff around that and meticulously planning every week. So that was a big attribute and a big feature that we were looking for um, with that Plannings. Then you come about. Um, they they needed to have success at winning. They needed to have runs on the board as a first team manager in 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 long term success over a course of a season. Not 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 a couple of games here and there, but but a really strong um, approach. They needed to have um, uh, a tactical ability to change um, to change during the match. And in, in so that sounds easy to say, but you can only change shape and you can only change your tactical approach. Um, if you have done a huge amount of hours on the training pitch so that people click into that default and change. It's no point saying, guys, their their formation means we're going to have to change our formation if you haven't got all the work behind you on the pitch to do that because obviously your team isn't going to be prepared. So we needed to provide a sense for our squad of full preparation, knowing that they are the best prepared players um, week in, week out and going out there. So all of those attributes were put in. Obviously, some some uh, leagues and 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 quality uh, around the world present more of those style attributes than others. Um, and and the German lower league soon was identified and highlighted as um, very very strong in delivering that type of um, high pressure, um, high uh, obsessive, meticulous attention to detail. And and that was everything from certainly uh, the La Liga three over there, um, uh, Bundesliga two. Uh, the Regionellas uh, across the various north, south, east and west, uh, the various Regionellas in uh, in the football and obviously then the Uber Leaguers, which are the level below the, the Regionellas. And and I can sit here and safely say, uh, without trying to be cocky or anything, I don't think there's anyone in English football at the moment with more knowledge of all of those Regionellas and Uber Leaguers and what every manager is doing than I do sitting here today. So you, do, do you... Do the homework yourself, or you use agents to to pass your own um, uh, managers, etc., like that. How does it work? The process of em- employing a football manager like this. That's what I'm interested about. Yeah, it's, so, a, it's a great question. I think one of your comments was, "Oh, you must have a good manager, Dennis." Um, I, oh well, yeah, exactly. Agent. Well, you're an agent, yeah. You know, and I understand that. I feel that's the way. Yeah, I understand that. Um, I it'd be very unusual for for a, a meticulous process. 
um, to to appoint someone whose manager or agent had rung up and said, "Hey, can you look at this guy?" Um, if if our process hadn't identified you already, um, you you weren't the right person for us. I think that's the best answer to that. Um, uh, yeah, Dennis has an agent. Uh, he was the last person I called because we didn't do contracts. Um, you obviously, I, I know that uh, one thing that was discussed on our show uh, with the guy from Germany was was a question mark over whether Dennis was actually able to lead his team up into the next level. Uh, and I know that's a point you, you want to set straight. Yeah, Dennis could certainly have led the club at another level. He could have gone and been assistant manager, which he had opportunity to do in, in the Bundesliga 2 or anywhere higher. Um, like any compliance, just like when a club over here um, moves up a, a division, they have a certain amount of time to rectify their compliance in terms of licensing, et cetera, um, to do that. And so, um, yeah, it, it wouldn't have been an issue for, for, for Dennis to finalise his, his A badges. What you've got to remember is... Um, you can you can be a manager up to championship over here with a UEFA B license, no problem. Yeah. In fact, the standards of what are required in in England to be a first team manager are far less than in Germany. Um, it's a very very competitive market. I think you would have read over the years. One of the things pointed out heavily is the the cost and the accessibility of 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 licensing courses um in germany compared to what it is in england which has been sort of tougher to get some of those big licenses which means over there there are probably more qualified people and they 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 can afford to be a lot stricter in terms of how lower down the leagues they 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 mandate you need an a license for um and and to be fair the only reason dennis hasn't finished his a license is because he, he's he's had a business over there as well and he's he's been busy and he came from the under 19s and and, and it sort of exploded pretty quickly in terms of success so trying to find those those weeks to sit out and and, and do that he hasn't got around to that yet but had he wanted to stay and take a role in Germany, um, he, he, he was afforded months to do that prior to the new season and he would have done that. Um, so it's a little bit of a, um, I understand the interest in it, but it's a bit of a furphy, to be honest. I mean, there are a huge amount of A-licensed coaches in England, with all due respect to them, um, that wouldn't be even close to, to being ready to, to manage at National League level. Um, they might be in academy roles or they might be doing something else, but I don't think the licence issue is, uh, is, is overly relevant. Uh, Steve Lovell, we, John and I, I know him pretty well, um, dealings with him over the years. His role continues as, as sort of um, a director of football, and he just advised Dennis of how it will work. They'll work closely together. Yeah, great, great guy, Steve, and, and he's, he's, I think, fair to say, very excited about everything. Um, we've we've worked at length um, on this, and, and and Dennis has been speaking to him regularly. Um, he's essential in the in the makeup of the club because. And I mean, Dennis says himself, we're aware of the process, that the big weakness is in that is that um, he, he doesn't know the league. Um, and that's bandied around as quite a regular sort of criticism for anyone new coming in or out. Um, I wouldn't dismiss it and say that, you know, you, you don't need to know the league. Um, but I would certainly say that with Steve Lovell in situ, um, it's far less important that the manager who's running the team day in, day out, with all that support and video analysis support from Steve and scouting and certainly putting the squad together with Dennis. Um, he has ample um, memory, corporate memory and experience around him um, to be able to, to fill that role. So, um, Steve, in, 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 in all honesty, though, that was Steve's role when he was brought in in January um, and he's maintaining that role just with a different manager in situ. 
Um, obviously, you said about how you found Dennis. How did you sell the club to Dennis and get him on board on, on what seems like it's going to be an exciting project at Ebb Street United now? Yeah, I think um, timing is important. I think, uh, and and obviously, the club has changed quite a bit in the last little while. Obviously, um, we've been in lockdown, um, but to be fair, um, since you know just after Christmas. Um, and, and, and I've been in place. Um, we've been able to stabilise a lot of things and organise a lot of the, the communication. I think that had fallen down um, between the supporters and the playing group and all of that. And um, you know that 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 is a lot more stable now. Um, and I think so. That that wasn't really an issue. It was more about, um, I guess, feeding on on the character traits that we were attracted to Dennis in um, that hunger. I mean, you know, don't don't think that everybody who says out there in every other club who goes, oh, Ebbsfleet have appointed some someone from Germany that they're going to have no idea. Um, that's another log on our fire, if I'm honest. I mean, that just it, it feeds that hunger of of wanting to demonstrate and prove that wrong. And and Dennis is up in roots and coming over here um, with a fierce determination to do that. Um, and if I'm an Ebbsfleet fan, that's an attribute I want in my guy. You know, I, I want us to stand. You know, we went up. One of the the, the the most incredible days for me in my short time at the club was up at Hartlepool, um, which was a great win, and, and and the team and and the staff had done a great job there. And it was us against the world that day up there. I mean, you know, it was backs to the wall. Um, it was a furnace, and and that club stood together. And 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 whether they were back home listening on radio or, or whether they were up there amongst that. Um, there was a lot of, you know, crap being thrown at our club that day and, and everyone sort of circled the wagons as a club and said, well, you can say what you want. We're here to prove you wrong. And and I guess it's that ethos and and it's that drive which um which was was what we sold to Dennis and explained that that's who I'm that's what I'm about. Um that's certainly what Dr. Abdullah wants to do. He wants to prove um he's stuck with his club for seven years and he's he's um it's not been perfect by any stretch, but he's done great things and he's put a lot, a lot of money into the club. And um, the reason he is still here is because he wants to to, to, to finalise eventually, whenever that might be, by saying, I've done it. I, you know, I have stuck with it and we've achieved it. So that club, our club is, is attractive on that basis um, to someone who's like-minded and wants to come over and be out of their comfort zone and go, I don't care. We, we just got to crack on with it. You're playing personnel. Could that involve local players from the Kent southeast area? Or could it involve the players that Dennis has worked through with before? Because um, you know the German league, lower leagues, they do have a lot of uh, European style European players. Are they sort of something you could be willing to bring in as well? It could be a change of playing culture as well. Yeah, um, two things there. One, the club needs a change of culture, um, a change of culture of raising the bar and standards day to day, just what our expectations are and work ethic and the hours being put in. So that would definitely be part of it. Um, and, and, and the new manager is all about that. I certainly am. Um, but, but on the players, um, yes, uh, th- there are um, one or two players, you know, in a, and I literally mean one or two um, that you might bring over into a squad. And Dennis knows, uh, he knows that network of players there incredibly well. Um, so he will pick the eyes out of that and bring one or two um, that he knows. Look, Dennis has done 50-plus full games already of video work and analysis on our season in our league last year, so he's learning very quickly what's required. 
Um, so he'll bring in one or two maybe. Um, and then, but balance is everything. And, and a, a large number of our current squad um, are being spoken to about um, about staying on with us because uh, this isn't about wholesale, throw it all out. Um, this is about balance. So um, one or two might, you might come in with a manager, um, a good number will be retained. And then in, in gents, what I think you guys know is, is probably one of the biggest buyers markets football has ever seen in the last decade, I've got to be honest, at our level. Um, it's very difficult times for a lot of people out there. Uh, the club is probably blessed and better positioned than a number of others because um, we had a number of contracted players that were in their second year last season. Um, we have none that are contracted through to the following seasons. So um, the club is in a wonderful position of being able to add and complement um, the core um, boys that have demonstrated the, you know, their qualities and character already um, with with maybe one or two from Europe, as you say, but then uh, some, some new additions um, to really strengthen from the top shelf. Uh, you've said at this level a couple of times. Uh, there is, of course, still the, the slight question mark that if they decide to go on points per game, uh, the level that you, that you might be planning for and the level that you might be at could be different things. What are your thoughts on the current situation? And if they do decide to go points per game and you get relegated, what, would you have any sort of recourse to that? Would you take legal action or anything? Look, you know, the answer to that is so up in the air on, on all number of things. And I know you speak with Jim and you, you, you've heard some, you've had some great interviews around it. And you, you sort of, it becomes tiring, doesn't it, guys? Oh, we're <laughs> so fed up with it. <laughs> because you, you toss it up so much and, and the permutations. And, and believe me, I feel exactly the same way and we do here as a club because it changes daily, your mood on it and, and the feeling you get depending on what happens sometimes. Um so, and actually it was Dennis who said it very well. He said, well, waste your energy on things that you can control. And at the moment, we can't control that. Um, we've certainly been very strong um, in terms of, and, I, and I'm a big believer in process. You can play it out all you want in the media, like some have up in the, you know, Peterborough, et cetera, have really been quite forceful in public and some in our leagues as well. Um, I tend not to, I, I don't think that's really the right way to go. I think, um We've got to remember why all this is up in the air, and that's a lot, a lot of lives have been lost, mate, and 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 a lot of people, whilst a lot of people have been furloughed, a lot of people have been out for pretty minimum wage, working their guts out during this whole lockdown period, um, risking their own families and health to keep the world ticking over. So I, I think sometimes screaming from the rooftops of unfairness and injustice in the press to try and get your point across isn't necessarily the right way to go. So we've we've directly contacted the league very clearly on, on our points and what we feel is fair and what we feel is not fair. Um, just one little example is, you know, a points per game would be devastating for us because um, 0.002 points is, is it's quite a fine margin um, to find out if you're fourth or third last. Um, but, you know, during the big storms in February, um, you know, our staff and, you know, we're, we're big on football culture and we're big on the spirit of football. And um, we've always lived, I certainly have, on the basis that you do what you can to get a game on. You know, I think your fans want you to. We all hate cancellations and postponements. Um, and, and we had Stockport travel down on a Friday during the big storms, 29th, I think, of February it was, from memory. Um, they came down on the Friday. And um, it was the second week of the storm. There was Dennis and some other guy, Orgay or whatever, I don't know. And um, and so, you know, we worked, we could have, do you know what, we could have on the lunchtime Friday said, 
hey, let's have a day off. You know, let's eight other clubs are already calling it off early. Um, let's not be bothered. Everyone go home, save our costs. We're not going to get much of a crowd anyway, so it's, it, it'd be it'd be good to call it off. But Stockport were on the road; they were down here, um, and it never really crossed our mind to do that. Uh, we were up early, fork in the pitch. The ref, God bless him, came three times for pitch inspections, and and you know it was really a case of it looks all right to me, it looks all right to me, and let's get it on. Um, we had the game on, and, 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 you know, it was a smallish crowd and we probably lost some money on the game, but we got it away. Um, and, a, and a late goal sunk us there. We lost 1-0. Um, if we hadn't bothered, you know, if we'd stayed in bed that Saturday and hadn't tried, we'd be above major than the points per game, you know, because we, we would have played one less and we wouldn't have had any further three points. So just a... I don't want to go into it too long, but that's an example of the type of um, thing and the spirit around that which hurts and, and would hurt us if that happened. So we don't know the outcome, but to get to your question, it, it won't affect or change our plans at all. Um, you know, we we need to have a massive year in the National League or have a massive year in the National League South, bottom line, and we're very confident with with our manager and the structure we're putting around the club um, in our recruiting. We, You know, there's not a lot of difference between the two leagues, you know, at the top section of the South, and they're both hard leagues to win. Um, so we're just, we're just going to crack on with it approached regardless. You've got a bit of pedigree in the game. You've been successful where you've been. Where would you like to, absolutely to be in, you know, two, three years' time? Of course... There was feeling, you know, when um, Dale McMahon there, they nearly got to the playoff finals. I know. Do you think the the club has got the ability to go into the football league? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I, I I'm cautious. I mean, I'd never sit here and say we've got a plan by next year or this year to to finish in the playoffs. Because to be fair, um, every one of the clubs should be sitting down at the start of the season and saying that they plan or hope to be, you know, up in the playoffs. Um, and there's only sort of, you know seven clubs that compete with those clubs. So, um, but, you know, I'm here um, and Dennis has come in here and the new staff we're putting in around the place in performance. Uh, we're, we're coming here to be the best we can be. And I know that that can be a national uh, 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 football league side. Um, and I think you, you do things at clubs, you go to clubs and you get immersed in clubs like you guys doing your jobs and that to be the absolute best you can be. And um, to take, take the club into the football league eventually, um, would be a massive achievement and a, and a massive um, ambition for so many people that have put through uh, a lot of work into this club over the years, um, from the supporters, the trust, to everyone. So obviously that's that's the ambition, yeah. And you suppose- stayed full-time as well. You know, talking a lot of clubs in the Kent area, maybe that Dover in particular, my side, that may have to go part-time, but absolutely going to still keep with the full-time model. Yeah, we, we, we will. Um, that said, I'll, I'll put a caveat on that. You know, we don't know when the season's starting, guys. You know, we, we don't know um, if it's going to be a full season or if it's going to start in, in December or September or, or what that looks like. So, um, yeah, as it stands now, that's certainly our plan and, and what we're, we're budgeting for and doing. Um, uh, the caveat is if something – some monstrous alteration change to the outlook in terms of what the season was going to be and looked like, obviously we'd have to react to that. I suppose on a similar sort of line, you know, long before your time at the club, that there were problems. Um, they were they were very well documented, but uh, I'm guessing all of this is now behind Epsom United. Epsom United is on a firm footing, and you said the doctor is very committed to finishing this project, and that's got to be a, a massive thing for Epsom United fans to hear. 
Yeah, and look, you know, I think one of the things is, you know, so I only, I only came in in February, and so I, just like Dennis now, and you asked the question, I did my research, you know, and and, and, I, and I looked and I asked people and spoke to people, and um, I think you've got to understand and get into and find out the reasons why those things happen. And um, at the end of the day, you know, the club was wasn't the best at communicating with itself, let alone to you guys that are outside, I think, and and certainly supporters. And and that created a lot of uncertainty around a lot of things. Um, a, the day I sit here and tell you the club's perfect, I'm a liar. I mean, no club is, and, and we would never do that. But um, we're, we're a lot better now in terms of understanding what the picture is and what we need. Um, I think the goalposts had moved a few times uh, for the doctor financially over the last three or four years, setting up a budget at the start of the year and finding that's already gone by Christmas. Uh, I don't care who you are. Cash flow has an effect on that and you have to move things and do things and, and liquid liquidise other things and, you know, to do all that to make it happen. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been up and down right. But I can tell you something. Um, he's always come here and stood and shown his face and, and, and sat at that game and... Um, He's a proud man and he's he's a good person, you know, and um, he he's uh, he's very very passionate about finishing the job, as you say. So uh, that's that's good news, and I think the more I think the fans will get to know a little bit more about him and, and us going forward over the next few months. They've obviously done a lot of research into him. It, 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 I think last week our our reaction was probably surprised more than anything, uh, but having listened to that interview and, and thought about it a lot. Fair play to him for trying something different. Yeah, I think um, fair play to Damien coming on. It's good to get a communication with the club. Um, he contacted us and we're more than willing. Like any club, to, if you want to come onto the pod, we'll, we'll, we'll chat with you if you don't agree with our views or think that we're a little bit negative. So it was good to speak to him. I thought Damien, um, who's had an excellent career in the game, if you look at his CV, he's been at a lot of clubs. So he knows more about the workings of football than probably you and I do, John, you know, behind the scenes. So he's made the decision with his new manager. Um, I think he's done a few other interviews as well, Dennis, with uh, other podcasts, etc. And he seems to be well up for the challenge. And, you know, and I hope it works out for him. I really do. You see the effort that's got into the, the role that Damien's got in there, where they're going to go. My concern, you know, is we released this at four o'clock on a Wednesday, that if the National League goes the same way as the Football League, they will go to Conference South, won't they? I'm led yeah. to believe. And But maybe that's, if they do go down that, and they're going to stick with him with that result and he will do that, that gives him a, a lesser grounding to look at the league, look at the players, how it works, and they can be successful if they get promoted and go from there. So I really appreciated the interview with Damien. I think Absolute supporters um, will be absolutely delighted with how he came across and what he's doing for the club. I think he's got the whole interest of the club at heart there and they've got a good man involved and we don't want we want all our clubs to be successful and maybe we were a little bit negative I was a little bit negative about Dennis getting the role but at the end of the day results we'll see on the pitch and we'll see who was right and who was wrong but from an absolute point of view if you listen to what Damien said it's going to be an interesting time ahead yeah, I think uh, we will try and get Dennis on the show uh, before the new season starts because that has sort of been offered to us uh, down the line. Um, obviously, we've had a, a long chat with, with Damien this week. Um, and I suppose the other thing that will really, really encourage Everton United fans is we know about the problems that they've had. Uh, I think we broke some of the problems on our radio show back in the day, Matt, um, about how the players nearly didn't play that game up at Aldershot in the playoffs a couple of years ago uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, but I think... 
if you're an Absolute United fan and you've heard Damien there t- talk about the, the Doctor wanting to finish the project, uh, which I assume that the end goal of that project is Absolute United in the Football League, that, that's got to give you a, a certain sense of, of joy that he's, he's in this for the long haul. And, and despite problems that we've heard, it, it's almost... Uh, it's almost like a completely fresh start. And going back to that point we made during that chat there, you know, when Gary Hill comes in, we all get excited and say, oh, great appointment, knows the league. Oh, it didn't work. It plain and simply didn't work. So who's to say that bringing in someone who doesn't know the league is a bad decision? Uh, maybe it's our blinkered English minds about football here. Oh, you you know, you've got to play four four two, and you've got to know the best players in, who play in the, uh, the league if you're going to get anywhere. And maybe a non-league after watching it so many years, maybe I think that, that is the way to go forward. But I think if you, they've gone outside the box, I'm interested to see who their players will be playing next season, how they're going to work out. And I was really impressed with how Damien came across because, as I mentioned, he has got an excellent CV in the game. He's at Notts County, he won awards. At Wickham, he did a really good job. He will look at Ebsley on and off the pitch. So, of course, off the pitch is important, but on the pitch, if you're successful, it breeds success. So he's gone down that route. He thinks it's going to be successful, and I hope it does works out for him because that can only benefit the club. Exactly, and, and it can only ben- benefit Kent football as a whole, which by, by and large is what we're here to talk about. So if it does work out for them, then you know, great success puts the county on the map again, uh, and that's really, really good news. Of course, as Matt's just mentioned there, uh, the and, and we did discuss with Damien there that the future of Ebbsfleet United and what league they're going to be playing in is still very much up for debate. Uh, the EFL announced on Tuesday that League One's finished, League Two's finished, and the teams in the promotion and relegation places on points per game uh, will receive will, will be promoted, relegated, and of course there will be playoffs uh, in League One and League Two. The difficulty is now that they've said the relegation for from League Two, which will be Macclesfield, I believe, after they had eleven points deducted. Well, it could is, well they think it's well, it's Stevenage at the minute, but the believing is that Macclesfield will be deducted points as well. Um, yeah. So it could well be. Yes. So the, the the feeling there is that uh, is that it will be that one team will be relegated. However, they have said that is subject to uh, the National League decision. So the National League are now having kept everybody waiting. They've not really said anything publicly. They now hold all the cards. Uh, they hold the future of Macclesfield Town or Stevenage in their hands because they've got to decide uh, how they're going to promote teams, if they're going to promote teams, and what's going to happen. And I, I kind of found it very amusing when I saw that uh, on on Tuesday morning, and and I did send that straight to Matt. In fact, uh, that you know, after all of this, they've now put the onus on the National League. And to be brutally honest, the National League cannot afford to reject the promotion places because they've wanted to extend it to to three promotion places. And if they don't send anyone up now, they'll never ever ever get that over the line. Yeah, I think. Uh... <laughs> What happens if they? Well, I said to you, what happens if they do null and void? <laughs> what happens then? But they what? Well, they could. The league could go null and void, couldn't they? They could. And what would happen then? But then, can the football league ask for Barrow? But how many? How many do you think they're going to go for two up? And yeah. the Football league wants two, but the, the, the issue is as well, they might not give them Macclesfield and or Stevenage, is because we don't. The, the consensus that the national league might not start till January. Of course, if the Football League starts in September, Stevenage will be there twiddling their thumbs. So it is a real eye. Again, I don't know what numbers need to be on this. But you would have thought there'd be more teams 
apart from the top five in the rest of the league are going to go null and void, isn't it? Wouldn't it be the case? I think, looking at the league table now, the National League have just got to get some balls and they've got to say, right, looking at this league table, yes, Notts County, with eight games to play, you were possibly within touching distance of Barrow and Harrogate Town. However, for my money, with their game in hand, those two teams are enough clear that if we're doing that in League One, League Two, uh, I think that the National League should probably look at it and say, right, OK, Football League, Barrow and Harrogate, both deserved it send them up uh the other teams will have to deal with it and i think the other issue is at the bottom of the table i don't know if the national league should just say right we're gonna points per game barrow and harrogate are the best two teams the rest of it is null and void because we can't afford that no national league team can afford to do playoffs national league south teams can't afford to do the playoffs and i think we're, we're at the stage now where the the football league the link with the football league is so important to, to the National League that I think they've just got to say right okay we understand that there were still nine games left for, for several of the teams at the top of the table however we are not in a position to facilitate the end of the season and therefore the top two teams will receive our promotion places these are exceptional circumstances and that's what's going to happen um, and, I, and I think that, that that's the fairest way of doing it Notts County may not like it I mean even looking at the league table Barnet in 11th who are only four points outside the playoff places with four games in hand may not like it but they're going to have to deal with it and I think I think that, that that's the way they've got to do it now and just say just wash their hands of it say we've probably not acted quick enough here but we've looked at it we've looked at it we've looked at it and we're going to null and void the south and north because they're completely different leagues uh we're going to null and void everything in the national league however having looked at the season we have decided that barrow and harrogate town have done enough to be promoted and we wish them well in the football league what do you reckon yeah i think that might be the way forward uh for the minute again the next couple of days we'll definitely know what's going on. We might even know by, by this evening, but um, it seems to have gone long on and on and on. And my biggest bugbear is going to the football league. Why are League Two sides playing at Wembley behind closed doors? <laughs> Madness, isn't it? Uh, it, um, it just, just doesn't make any sense. The cost of opening the, of that from there but it just doesn't make sense to be they honest. They surely wait until they know who's in the final and then just play at a neutral venue in the middle. To save travelling, you know, if it's so, say for example, if it's uh, I can't remember who's in, who's in the playoffs, but it's Northampton. Extra, extra against Cheltenham, right? So that's Southwesty Rose. I don't know. Could you play it at Plymouth? Uh, Ashton Gate. There you go. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense, but there. No. But, okay, but, but nothing makes sense in this, really, to be honest. So, but that, that's a different story. But definitely, the time we're on next week, John, we'll definitely know what's going on and. There we go. I would have thought. Exactly. It's not a lot else going on this week. Irith and Belvedere have announced their full management team uh, for next season. Uh, Del Oldfield is the manager. He has been appointed. Uh, and joining him in the dugout will be Owen Price, who's a name who's been uh, going around. He was at Lordswood last season. Marlon Patterson, uh, former fullback, uh, will be player coach. Uh, he's played for Bromley, uh, made nearly 200 appearances over his time. And uh, they've also got a player liaison officer in Larry Hayes. Uh, so that's uh, good news. And obviously, uh, something we were talking about earlier on, Marlon Patterson in, in the BAME category. So uh, that's a good start for him uh, to come on to his uh, his managerial career. Yep, yep. Uh, I was trying to think of the clubs. Yeah, he was at Bromley for a while, so I'm not aware of him. But yep, we're, again, 
clubs are changing. Clubs are getting ready for next season by appointing uh, managers and coaches. And I'm sure we'll see a little bit more when the National League comes in. We'll, we'll see what all our clubs will be doing. So we look, look forward to seeing that. And again, I think, wasn't it the um, leagues below that Step 3 tried to do the appeal and that was thrown out this week as well? I think I read somewhere. There was an appeal for it. Um, I think South Shields were doing an appeal, you know, because we, we thought they maybe ended the right, league yeah. a little bit early and the appeal's gone out the window there. So we'll definitely know football's coming up. But we just don't know when football's coming back at, the, at our particular levels. Uh, and obviously we have seen as well that uh, Step 5 clubs will be having a meeting uh, in a, at the end of next week, uh, obviously a virtual meeting uh, to discuss what's going to be... Uh, what's going to be happening uh, and and their sort of plans to restart the season. So that's going to be an interesting one as well. And we'll certain, certainly be speaking to some of our contacts about that one, Matt. Yeah, I think there's an article, I think somebody said about it, the Northern Premier League, I read somewhere, he said about the FA Cup and it seems to be the consensus that lower league clubs will, will not be involved in the FA Cup. That seems to be, unless something miraculously changes and we can watch football again, I think the FA Cup's going to look very different for our sides and just hope that there's enough money to go around that the clubs will be... Um, that missed out on last year. Well, you know, they can get money back that they may have earned last year. Yeah, exactly. Well, move on then. Let's talk about some uh, some non-football stuff. How is uh, the last seven days in lockdown been for you, Matthew Gerrard? Well, um, I did be back in. Uh, I had be back pulling the bin out. I filled the, the green bin with garden thing and I, I had to take it down the uh, drive. And I haven't got a long drive, but then I woke up Saturday morning without, couldn't move me back. So I had to go to bed all Saturday morning, but now it's getting a little bit better. But, um, apart from me back, um, apart from that, I really haven't really been doing much at all, mate, to be honest. So, um, the weather hasn't been that great, so I haven't been sitting in the garden. So, um, yeah, n- nothing too exciting. It's my kid's birthday next week, or this coming up this weekend. It's both kids, so uh, they're all excited about that. So, we've got some things organized. Um, but that's nothing, nothing exciting, mate, nothing too exciting at all, really. No, I mean, I'm I'm at boredom uh, stage now, uh, whereby uh, the other day I finished uh, the story mode on Grand Theft Auto 5 for the second time. Uh, and uh, in my How boredom, I... How long did you do that? Uh, well, I'd, I'd sort of been playing it for, for a... I was about halfway through it, I suppose, before lockdown. And then I started playing it again about two weeks ago and just hammered through it. But I did say to Hayley when I'd finished... Um, can you make me a Grand Theft Auto 6 now, right now, so that I can play it, so I've got something to do. Um, so that was um, moderately amusement. Yesterday, uh, we spent uh, quite a lot of time, uh, after going upstairs, discovering that we had some of the, you know, the little sugar sachets? Yeah. you get. Yeah, so we had some of them uh, in the B&B uh, for the rooms, uh, which went out of date in March. Uh, we had pretty much a full box full, in fact, uh, so we spent quite a bit of time yesterday uh, opening them up and pouring them into a jar. Wow, that's exciting! What, so, oh, right, so if I came to your B and B, I'd be eating. If I had sugar, I'd be drinking it out of. Well, I'd be drinking my tea if I drank tea, which I don't. Without a date sugar, then would I? Or was that just for your own personal use? Just for our own personal use, we're going to use it for for various bits and pieces. So, um, probably give it to my parents and stuff, and any any friends and guests who you, if any friends of ours who come to visit downstairs, uh, will be in line for the app. But I mean, sugar it ain't going to go off, is it? I, I mean, know. it's not going to go off. We've reached a new um, low, mate. When we're talking about the sugar going off here, maybe we need something exciting happening. Well, football, I suppose football's back next week. If you want to know in the Premier League, if you're that interested, but a lot of the games are on Sky. And you were correct. The BBC jumping up and down against Bournemouth against Crystal Palace. <laughs> I'm praying that's nil-nil. I'm praying that's nil-nil. 
Yeah. Uh, I also want to talk very quickly uh, about adverts uh, that I keep seeing on my smartphone. I play some silly little games on my phone. Uh, nothing, you know, nothing too controversial. Uh, but what I do get fed up with is seeing these adverts that say, uh, you won't believe how ha- this is harder than it looks. Uh, and there's one, it, there's one advert that comes up with a picture of like a cartoon professor. And it says, one game neuroscientists are begging people over 40 to play. I mean, do people actually believe this nonsense that a neuroscientist has looked at a game, uh, a word game on on a mobile phone and said, oh, that will sort out all the over 40s. What a load of nonsense. There's another one as well where you have to, again, I've only seen the advert for it, but you get like a, it's a bit like the gauntlet on gladiators and you have to push all these people away with it. And the, the, the tagline for the advert is, if you push them all, you're legally skilled. What? You lost me a bit here, John. I don't, I don't really know what you're talking about on that game. But again, you need to get... Well, I know, easier said than done. We need to get the country gaff from rain. Three weeks away, you'll have people coming out of your ears, hopefully, in your um, place, and you're forgetting all about this. I'm, I'm going on the basis. You know, Thorpe Park can open on the 4th. If Thorpe Park can open on the 4th of um, July, mate, you should be able to open on the 4th of July. Well, right. let's hope so. Let's hope so. Um, a couple of TV uh, recommendations. Do you watch The A Word? Uh, no, what's that one? It's BBC One. Um, oh, my mum and dad told about that. No, I've never, se- yeah, I've never seen it. But they raised it. It's all that. available on iPlayer. Do you know what? The current series is just finished. It finished last night, and it is the best thing on TV at the moment. Absolutely brilliant. It's heartwarming. It's funny, uh, but it deals with serious issues. So I would definitely recommend. It's got three series. Uh, they're all available on the iPlayer. Definitely, definitely recommend uh, that you watch that. Also, you're, you're still looking for a half-hour comedy program. Yeah, I've been watching. Have you watched the Falcone and Lee's thing on Channel Four? I'd recommend that. Oh, I would have watched it, but I didn't really want four out four episodes of it. If it had no, been it's like, interesting. It's, it's interesting, really interesting. So I'd recommend that. Okay, um, I was going to recommend to you a comedy program that's on Netflix called Shit's Creek. Have you heard of that? Ah, uh, yep. My wife was recommended for that by somebody, and she watched the first twenty minutes. And said this is rubbish and turned it off. I've I've watched about four episodes and I still haven't decided if I like it or not. But I'm going to persevere with it when I when I kind of get around to it because I think uh, it has got a little bit of potential. And uh, I know a lot of people were very excited about it towards the end of it. So uh, I will definitely see um, sort of persevere with it a little bit and, and see how it goes. We've also been recommended because we've never watched it to start watching Spooks from the start. So that's going to be a massive commitment. But we've never watched it. it. Yeah, I'm watching Ozark at the moment, which I'm getting through, which is very dark. Uh, the wife's given up because she said it was too dark. Um, but I did watch First Team, that in between as BBC One about the footballers. Have you watched oh, that? Oh, yeah. I watched Rubbish. the first episode, but I wasn't really paying attention. I, di- I didn't really like it. No, uh, no, it was pretty, it wasn't nothing too exciting on that. So, no, nothing from that. So, um, no, just back to normality, mate. Back to putting the sugar in, going to Sainsbury's on a Saturday, really. That's, that's, that's how it is for the moment. But again, yeah. I, to be honest, even if locked, we're probably not going to go out to the end of the month anyway. We're not going to. Until, well, yeah, we just carry on regardless. We're not going to be making any extravagant changes to our lifestyle that we've been like the last three months. I would have thought just yet, even if everything else comes back to normality. I won't be going to Blue Water. Yeah, I mean, well, no, and they're saying, aren't they, that um, pubs with beer gardens will be open uh, from the 22nd. And I can tell you that um, none of my favourite pubs have nice beer gardens and I'm not that desperate to go and buy uh, a, a, a probably an average pint of beer 
uh, that I will go and sit in a pub beer garden. Well, all the time, you know, all the time it's like this. I, I just don't see the point in rushing it. And, and but when things are available, and you know, that I will, I will take advantage. And we're saying, as we have done, we aren't half missing it. Eating out is is the one thing we're missing. And how you said um, today, she, she was looking through and she found a load of vouchers that we've got, and she said, "I could just go for a really nice meal out today." And I completely agree with her. But we're 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 still cooking loads. We're not wasting food. We're being quite good about it. Um, so you know, we're doing our best. But yeah, it is just I'm just I'm still bored. Whenever anyone says to me, "How are you?" all I say is bored yeah. uh, to such an extent that I want a new Grand Theft Auto game to be made just for me right now uh, well, that's well, not well, well yeah maybe you should google them and ask or tweet them and ask them if they... but I said nothing yeah, nothing so know. no even, 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 again, even, the, even the normally funny bits have gone a bit boring mate because nothing's happening really is there so um, so. but I've got my kids birthday next week so um, I'll ex- try explain them how we get on with their birthdays being one day after each other. So yeah, happy birthday to to the mini the mini Gerards. Uh, if for those of you who aren't aware, Matt's children are three years apart, uh, but their birthdays are on consecutive days. So uh, Matt obviously has a, a a very special time in September, don't you? Yeah, exactly. The only time I've been potent. So yes, yeah, so their birthdays this weekend. We've only had tears because my um, eldest has got a television which was delivered today, and the youngest has said, "But I haven't got anything." But well, it's not your birthday yet, is it? So we'll have to see from there. Yeah, well, good luck with it. I hope it all goes well uh, for you uh, on uh, on the big days next week. So we'll uh, we'll hear about that on next week's Kent Only Podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, as always, you can find us on social media. We're on Twitter at Kent NL Podcast. Search for us on Facebook as well. Kent on League Podcast is where you will find us on there. Uh, also, you can find me on Twitter at John Phipps eighty one. Matt is at Matthew underscore Gerard. Uh, we always love to hear from listeners of the show, so do please get in touch with us. Uh, thanks to all of our guests for joining us this week. Thank you again, especially to Damien Irvine uh, for his time last week because it was quite a lot of time, and we do really, really appreciate it. And uh, going forward, it definitely is, is is given us a bit of a, a bit of a boost, I would say, to know that. Uh, that, that people at the top of National League clubs are interested in what we're doing here uh, on what, as I often say, is just a silly little football podcast. Uh, but thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will speak to you all next week. Hopefully a bit more upbeat. We need to be a bit more upbeat in the upbeat section, mate. But it's pretty dull around now at the moment. <laughs>